welcome to the Food Freedom Podcast. I am Coach Mary Roberts, and this podcast is all about finding your freedom from food addiction. And we're going to talk about all things related to food addiction and recovery. Let's dig in. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. I am Coach Mary Roberts, and I am uh, your host. This is the Food Freedom Podcast. And today um, I have a special guest, um, Mike Gorman. Welcome, Mike. Thank you for agreeing to talk to me. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Glad to be here, Mary. Glad to be here. All right. So tell us, tell my audience the, the Cliff Notes version of your story, which is awesome. Well, I, I, I think just to cut right to it, I'm a lifelong food addict, developed in insane food habits and a relationship with food. And, and use, honestly, never been clinically diagnosed as insane, but I would say that if someone were to try <laughs> to diagnose me, there's a lot in there that they, they it's not, I'm, I'm not using that as a mocking term. I'm using it as like an actual descriptor, like yeah. at, you know. My dieting history started at 10 years old when I was over 200 pounds. My family forced me onto a diet. I spent decades dieting and putting weight back on and developing these intense sneak eating habits. And whenever I lost weight, it was always about doing it for someone else because I was confronted by something, whether it was a financial situation or fear of rejection, you know, like my weight loss efforts were always driven by fear. Um, mm-hmm. Honestly, like I came I, I kind of had that realization actually just a couple of days ago when I was having a discussion with someone. And I think you know, and so finance also always came into it because it was always about I'm too big to find a job or I'm not going to do this, you know, all of those things. And like, so I spent my life on this roller coaster of having these intense periods of weight gain, these intense periods of weight loss, always having this disordered relationship with food where um, it was everything to me. Like, it, I, I also like very, you know, just the past couple of years, I, I always said I was never an emotional eater. And then I realized that I just ate 24 seven to numb all of my feelings. Like, Mm -hmm. so it wasn't that I was a reactionary eater. I was preemptively emotionally eating is the way I like to talk about it. Yeah. But yeah, you know, so I reached a high, you know, my highest weight ever. I was 540 pounds. I spent almost a decade over 500 pounds. I lost all of the weight in, in two and a half years from 2010 to 2013, went from 540 to 210 pounds. Now, and that was probably my 10th massive weight loss effort in my life. Like everyone's always like, there's two big times for you. And I'm like, well, no, there's probably about 25. But Mm -hmm. this was the first time that I really lost a significant amount of weight. It was for my 40th birthday, lost over 300 pounds. May of 2013 was 210 pounds. And by October of 2013, Columbus Day weekend, I was uh, almost 500 pounds again. So I, in less than six months, put on over 280 pounds. And that sounds impossible to some people. I will let you know, I have timestamp photos to prove it. Um, I, that was the depth that shows kind of the depth of my addiction. Like Mm -hmm. it would take one moment, like I, and I could probably spend a half hour with you talking about the day that I went off, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that moment, like the day that I let it come back in. And I spent years after that, just accepting that that was going to be my life. I convinced myself that there was no way for me to make change. I tried so many times. It wasn't worth the effort. I'll just die. And when it happens, it happens. But hey, at least the day I die, I'll probably have had a Reese's peanut butter cup. So that makes everything okay, right? Mm -hmm. And I had even I kept letters by my bed for my family. So if I didn't wake up, 
they would have a note from me saying, don't be upset, which wow. is the dumbest thing in the world when I, when I d- say it out loud. But at the time, it, for some reason, that allowed me to go to sleep at night because I was afraid I wasn't going to wake up. And eventually came to a point where I found purpose in my life that was beyond just eating. Um, I found purpose that was beyond food. And it was wanting to be the person that could be there for other people that needed help and be there for people in my life, specifically family that were reaching out for help. And it wasn't that they were asking, it wasn't that it was another situation where people were again asking me to do something for them. I just hit a point where I realized that I wanted to be there for people, but I was on a path to to the grave. I wasn't going to live long enough to do the things that 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 I wanted to do. So I realized that I needed to try again. And that involved this time for the first time ever being mindful and working on not just the mindset side of things that I needed to have in place to to be successful, but also mindful of how was I feeling about what I was eating and how was the food making me feel and what was my life like as I was going through this process? Because I think that was a big missing piece that first big time where I got to 210 pounds, but had no idea how a 210 pound person moved through the world. I only knew how a 500 pound food addict moved through the world. And so Mm -hmm. how do you, how do you spend all of that time losing weight and do none of the work to, to learn about yourself and those things? And I did. So this time around, it really was about learning about who I was and who I wanted to be and how I interacted with the world and what was more important to me than food and what was I willing to do to fight for those things and came through that have dropped over 250 pounds for my heaviest got down to a low weight, put some weight back on, lost out, you know, like it's a continue. I, I think it's a, it's a roller coaster that never really ends in some ways, but the, mm-hmm. the peaks and valleys get smaller every time. And right. I learn more, I continue to be a learner. I think that's really been an important part of it. And, you know, I can, I try to confront myself with honesty is the way I say it. Like I, there, there's no point in my life now that I'm making choices that I don't understand where they're coming from and why I'm making them, especially when right. it comes to food. Like, so even if I feel like I'm at a place where I'm off track, I've made a conscious decision to be there. And I think sometimes people don't understand that, but I don't beat myself up over, over those pieces. I accept that sometimes the addiction convinces me of things that are, I don't know, like if, if now I'm going off on some rational, <laughs> but you know, you, yeah. you make irrational decisions, but you still feel like you're making a decision. And so, but the place of empowerment in there for me is that even if a, de- a decision feels irrational, I know I can make the other decision. Right. You know, it does to me, it never, it's, it's no longer ever about like, I need to fight to get back on track. Like it's never about, yeah. Cause I it's recovery. You know, we're, we're in recovery. We're not recovered. Right. There's this, I right. say all the time, there's no end point. We don't arrive. Right. We don't get to this place where we're like fixed and we no longer have Ed and we can be normal. It's like a daily pursuit. And it's being okay with that. Like, I think that's the, you know, one of the biggest things is like, you know, we spend all this time and you know, this from your history and your experiences, like as human beings, we spend all of this time, especially when it comes to weight and food issues that we just want to find the thing that's going to fix it, quote unquote. Yeah. And then we can move on. And instead of realizing that maybe we're moving to a new place where we accept that some of these challenges are still going to be there for the rest of your life, but you get better at handling them and you become more aware of your actions and your behavior. And you become more at peace with that when you can accept yourself where you're sitting today instead of always trying to chase a tomorrow. Yeah. Acceptance is a huge part of, you know, recovery and we can Mm -hmm. save ourselves so much grief 
mm-hmm. when we get when we get to that place because as long as we are not accepting we are always looking for the next best best thing mm-hmm. the magic pill the quick fix all of that right and you know and then we stay stuck in this cycle um and you know when we have that acceptance that you know we're never we're not going to be perfect we're never going to be in a and i want to talk to you about like the the moderator thing i love what you posted mm-hmm. today um you know a lot of people that continue to struggle a lot of that comes from they haven't accepted that they are food addicted. Mm-hmm. They haven't accepted that they're not a moderator because let's face it, our ed brain desperately wants us to believe that we can moderate. Mm-hmm. And we have evidence of that on the hundreds, if not thousands of times we try to moderate mm-hmm. and fail, right? Oh, um, and, and, and it's that part of our brain that sees that flashy influencer coach who posts and says, I can... I can get you to lose weight without giving up any of your favorite foods and never feeling restricted. And this is, you know, taking foods out of your life is never going to work. You're not going to be able like, they literally come from the standpoint of, Hey, come on, you know, you can't give this stuff up. So let me teach you how to keep it in your life and I'll Uh teach you how to lose weight. And it's like, you'll, you'll give me a 30 day plan that I'll follow for 30 days. Cause as human beings, we can white knuckle through anything for a certain amount of time. And then when that collapses, you've already moved on to the next person. Like it's, Right. We're attract. We're drawn to that that hope of the magic, you know, being there right. instead of really realizing that the magic is about accepting where we're at and doing the work and yeah and and being okay with it being hard and yeah. you know like you know I'll I'll throw in there like just to wrap up like the my story part is like I've always been about sharing my my life and my experiences on social media for the good the bad and the ugly. I used to say that my Instagram page was like my fat life page because it really was. And then it mm-hmm. became about my journey and connecting with other people. And, you know, and then eventually leads me to be able to help other people. But I still think like the common thread is that place of acceptance because, and I think the really hard thing is like when a person has to say, I'm a food addict, it's almost like they're saying, they feel like they're saying I'm broken. You know, there's something wrong with me. I'm accepting there's something yeah. wrong with me. Instead of saying, I have to approach, I might have to approach things differently to get to the same result as other people. Right. It it might not, it doesn't mean that I'm broken. It doesn't mean that I'm incapable. It just means that my path might be different than someone else's. And when you realize that everyone has a different path, Mm -hmm. you you get, you become more at peace with that. You know, it's, it's, the metaphor isn't perfect with like someone who is learning disabled or something along those lines, but it's that idea that like, if you've gone through process, you know, the mainstream process hasn't worked for you and you find a way that is actually giving you freedom and relief. And then you start to feel shame around it because for some reason, other people are telling you that living as as an abstainer, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) Like that whole, like, you know, it's great that you did it, but you know, you did it the wrong way. No, whatever. Like, let's move, let's move past that. Like, like you said, everyone wants to be a moderator. Like, mm mm-hmm. Oh, it's definitely yeah. not. It is definitely yeah, Oliver, you know, and even with the, the topic of moderation, like there are foods that I can moderate that other mm-hmm. people can't and vice versa, yep. right? Oh, yeah. you know? And it does come down to like, you know, knowing ourselves and being intellectually honest and looking at our track record. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, that, that plays a big role. But I think sometimes people get stuck because they think that they have to follow this one specific thing like like there's only like one one way mm-hmm. um and I, I i hate that message like you were talking about like the influencer that message that like because there are people out there who think 
that because the way they do things works for them and they form some idea about you know the whole like restriction like like they love to use that word restriction they think mm -hmm. that like their way is the only way and if only we just did what they did it would all be okay mm -hmm. and i know we've talked about this before like just you know in person chatting that you know uh do you think we've never attempted mm -hmm. <laughs> to do it that way like it's so insulting to be told this is the you know this is the only way to do it and if you can't do it that way you're you're broken and mm -hmm. then you know the whole idea of of restriction i think it's um you know real restriction is living a life of obesity and living life from the sidelines and not getting to participate in things and being on medication and being miserable and unwell and not very mobile and just you know mm -hmm. that is restriction me not getting to eat my 4000 Hershey bar is not restriction right like mm -hmm. i've had plenty of that stuff right i know what it does i know what it tastes like it, it why would you know and why would i need to like keep keep doing it so i think people really get that that um you know that the perspective is wrong like looking at you know you know not getting able to eat these junk foods that don't even like serve us well mm -hmm. it is not the definition of restriction like mm -hmm. all of the ailments and the the peace of mind that we lose it, that's really restriction. And, and it's like, I, I wrote a blog once that the title of it was keto is restrictive. And the purpose of it was to say that there is restriction. There's restriction in all areas of our lives. Yeah. You know, if there was no, if, if there was, that's what it is. It's, it's yeah. this idea, like, you know, I drive the speed limit because I don't want to kill other people on the freeway. Right. No, you're restricting yourself. You should be able to drive whatever speed you want to. That is silly. Like yeah. put it, you know, putting putting that same argument about food in other contexts is yep. silly, makes it sound silly. But when you yeah. say to someone, okay, you stopped eating, you stopped eating candy, you know, you can't live the rest of your life without candy. You know, how are you yeah. ever gonna, you know, how are you gonna and I've said like for me, the biggest lesson I have learned, you know, if I have to boil down the lessons I've learned on my journey when it comes to weight loss and dealing with food and even nutritional approaches and everything is what I, because I think the number one question you get as someone who gets a little bit of notoriety in the keto community is the random people that say, yeah, but are you never going to have cake again? Are you never yeah. going to have cake again? And my answer that I've, that like was like a light bulb went off and smacked me in the face was it's not that I will never have cake again. It's know that if I never have, if I do never have cake again, I can thrive in life. I can That's have right. an incredible I'll be okay. life. I will be okay. You do yeah. not die when you don't have these foods. Like, and that's, that's right. that and that's the message people are putting out there to sell a program. And yeah. it just it it angers me that people say those things from that purpose of trying to trick those people that are just hoping that the cake diet is really out there. You know, yeah. and it's like understand it. And like, and I think you made an incredible point that absent, you know. I think because people look at like alcohol, abstinence in moderation when it comes to alcohol is different than it when it comes to abstinence in moderation with food, because yeah. abstinence from alcohol is abstinence from alcohol. Like That's it right. is abstinence from food is not abstinence from every food, you know, right. abstinence from food. You still have to eat for one, but also there may be foods that are quote unquote, not really nutritionally sound that you don't have a problem moderating. you like, yeah. it is something that you can moderate. It's never been a driving force in your life. Like for yeah. me, I know that the three major instances of me being triggered to regain weight, massive amounts of weight 
occurred because I ate at Arby's at the Baltimore airport. So mm. to me, there is something about Arby's specifically at the Baltimore airport, which I know sounds kind of wild, but my heart still skips <laughs> a beat when I walk by it now, did it yeah. a couple of weeks ago and was like, Oh, there's my, my, ne- my literal nemesis. But there are certain foods that if you know that it's going to light that fire and it goes back to that, like our hope to magically become moderators. Like we yeah. live under that place of, okay, it's been two years since I've had it. Maybe I'm okay now with mm. it. You know, let me try. And then it goes wrong again. And it's like, oh, well, I'm going to wait three years this time. And someone listening might be like, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you have that thought process? But that's a real thought process that yeah. I had that other people have. Like, yeah. mm, I've, done no, I've done no real work to work on my relationship with this food but maybe it's fine now. Maybe it's okay. You know, and like you mentioned, like, that's, that's what I was posting about today. You know, it's, it's later for people, so they're not going to see it, you know, once they hear this, but it was this idea that, you know, you continually convince yourself that maybe this is the time because you've defined normality in your life by all of these things and by those patterns you used to be in. And you just hope that you somehow could do that. But the reality is, especially with, with ED, like, you know, that, having like me having half of a, a beef and cheddar at the airport in Baltimore is not at all what I was looking for in those moments. Right. It has nothing yeah. to do with One that. Like it's not even about that. This makes me mm-hmm. angry, <laughs> right? Like, well, and so I love that if you can't have one, then have none because and so many people don't understand that it is so much easier for me to have none of something mm-hmm. than it is to try to control my yep. intake of it mm-hmm. and to real true moderators they don't get that right? right oh yeah but those of us that are afflicted like we understand yeah like who wants just one oreo i didn't i <laughs> I, I describe it as it's like lighting the fuse on a bomb mm-hmm. like that doesn't seem like a big deal but once that fuse burns out, that bomb explodes and can destroy everything. And yeah. that's what the one of something is for me. You know, yeah. it's lighting a fire. And there were even points in my life and the work that I'm doing, like that every meal felt like I was lighting a fuse. Like when you're really yeah. in the thick of that fight with your eating disorder and with yeah. your relationship with food and your relationship with your body, there are moments where, you know, I would go to bed crying because I knew if I stayed up, I was going to eat. And I I talk to people about that now and someone's like, well, that just sounds just as bad as giving in and eating. And I'm like, no, in those moments, it was about what do I need to do to literally keep myself safe? Yeah. And, you know, when when having the one or like when having one Oreo sets off a fire in you where for the next six hours, all you can think about is Oreos. Why is that? You know, what makes so maybe I would just eat the one Oreo. Yeah, you know, but even it steals if I just, your piece the rest of the day. Well, that's what it is. That's what it is. Yeah. Like for the next six hours, I'm thinking about Oreos. I'm wondering, yeah. you know, are those Oreos still at the house? Are they left out? Are they somewhere where I can get access to them and no one's going to see me get those Oreos? Like you yeah. start building, you know, plotting to have more Oreos. Like, and I've yeah. done it. I've done the plotting to have more, yep. even though I had no intention of having more. It's just yeah. taking up that space in your head. Whereas instead, five minutes of me having to just say, you know, I really want that, but I'm not going to do it because I know the potential there. Yeah, the potential bomb that could explode. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna play with those matches. Like, yeah. Sometimes keeping yourself safe is making choices that other people aren't gonna understand, and it's yeah. coming to that place of being okay with other people not understanding. Like yeah. I say, like I have family that won't understand when they're like, "Can't you just have one piece? Can't you just do this? Can't you just do this once in a while?" And I say, and this is where you know the the little the little you know sparky side of me comes out, and I say. If, if you want me to be here for the next time you throw a party, you're going to stop asking me if I want to have some of that. 
Right. And they immediately are like, what are you talking yeah. about? And so I'm like, a matter that's of life serious to me. Like it is that serious to me yeah. in my perspective. And it may not seem, you know, obviously it may not be that I have that one episode and, and, and I'm going to pass away immediately, but it's the idea that it opens the door to me being right back where I was feeling like I could die any day. Yeah. And why risk myself to do that is the question I ask all the time. Yeah. And sometimes I, I still you, do it, but yeah. you know, I, I love how you use the, the phrase, you're keeping yourself safe. I love mm -hmm. that because yeah, we know like my food sobriety mantra is like, I don't eat foods that harm me. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, like that, that's like my qualifier. I'm not going to eat something that I know is, is harmful to me. Um, I do. I want to go back to what you said earlier mm -hmm. about like the, the, the day you, that you let it back in and you gained the mm -hmm. like 280 pounds yep. in six months. Um, you've heard me talk about the voice of sabotage lots mm -hmm. I bet, because I, I kind of don't shut up about it, but we all have that. So, mm -hmm. so the day you let it back in, what is like the number one thing that your voice of sabotage said to you that led you to like taking the dive? So what happened was, you know, to very quickly, again, elevator, you know, speech this, so I'm not taking up 45 minutes of your time. So I was, it was, it was a Baltimore airport Arby's event. Uh, I had gone on a trip for my 40th birthday. I had navigated Disneyland and SeaWorld and all of these places, perfect food choices. You know, yeah. everything was perfect, you know, and it, not in perfect in like I was perfectly on plan, but every choice I made was intentional. Everything went really well. I felt really good about everything I did. And I got to the airport and was had like three hours before the plane was going to leave. And at the initial airport, I started to have those thoughts of, you know, I've done so well and I've worked so hard for so long. I've earned, you know, the chance to have something that's off my plan, you know, yeah. and, I, and this is the this is the literal framework. I was like, OK, when I land in Baltimore, I have a three and a half hour layover in Baltimore. I'm going to pick one meal and allow myself to have it. And I can only have it at that airport. And the rule is like, it's the one meal. I don't get anything over one meal. You know, I set up all these reg nice regulations and rules mm -hmm. that felt comforting and warm and, you know, like you're yeah. supporting yourself and I'm rational and I got my, so here's, you know, so I got the beef and cheddar, curly fries, a water and a bag of Reese's peanut butter cups at the, at the magazine store. And this was my airport meal in Baltimore. And I felt great about it and everything was fantastic. Now, I had just been paleo for three years and hadn't put wheat in my body in three years. So when you haven't eaten wheat in a long time and put it into your stomach, your stomach ain't so happy with you. So I literally right. woke up the next day feeling like hot garbage, like I had the yeah. flu. So I woke up and was like, ooh. And of course, you start saying, did I pick something up on the plane? What happened? I went to work. My boss sent me home because he's like, you are not well and should not have planned to come in the, you know, three hours after your plane landed. I'm like, yeah, you are right. But you told me I couldn't take the day off. Um, so on the way home, I made the plan to stop at at Whole Foods to get chicken and broccoli because I was mostly eating chicken and broccoli at that point in my life. And as I'm walking around Whole Foods, I see that they have and this was back in 2013, back before bacon wasn't everything. They had a salted caramel bacon brownie that they only brought out once a quarter. And it was that day that I walked into Whole Foods. And so immediately I start wandering the store thinking about that brownie and start telling myself, you know, you work so hard. You handled Arby's last night really well. Maybe you can get one of those brownies to go with dinner tonight and that'll be completely okay. And then tomorrow you're back at it. I promise tomorrow we're back at it. Everything's great. <laughs> then that then opens the next little door in the room that says, well, if you're going to give yourself the brownie at dinner tonight and you're only going to do this once, 
you may you as well. well. You might as well have ice cream with it because it's only once. And if you're going to do it once, it better be perfect. So then yeah. I buy ice cream and more caramel sauce to go with the one brownie that I bought. Of course, I bought two brownies because what if one of them wasn't great? I needed to make sure that it was perfect. Mm-hmm. On the way home driving, I was like, you know what? What if I just like take today off? You know, just one, give myself one day to have whatever I want. So I'm hitting McDonald's on the way home. So now I've gone from being sick at work to just getting food that I know will sit okay in my stomach to buying brownies, ice cream, caramel, and going to McDonald's, convincing myself later that night that it was going to be a whole weekend off. And so let's get pizza. You know, by the middle of the weekend, it was a week. And I literally was like, okay, it's going to, I, here's the rules, you know, and I was, and I literally was, I wrote this down you know, one paleo meal a day, and then one meal could be whatever I wanted it to be. And that's going to be just for this week. And then if that goes well, maybe that's just what I'll do for the rest of, that's, you know, the we're rest negotiating of time. with our ed. Oh, hundred percent. It was like <laughs> this, this intense contract negotiation that kept going yeah. on. But by midweek, I had made the decision that I should never have tried to lose weight. And it wasn't what I should have been doing with my life. And this yeah. was wrong. And I only feel good now. And I haven't felt alive so in forever. Powerful. And now that I can eat this way again, my brain is alive and I'm not just living in this dull white knuckling state because I wasn't at the, towards the end yeah. of my weight loss. I was you got doing the pretty fix. bad you things. Were high. Exactly. It literally was a bender. Like it, yeah. it, I describe it as a bender because it was a bender. Like when people are like, what did you eat? And I'm like, I start listing it. And, and I, you know, you know, you're good friends with, with Jonathan Shane. Like I remember once when I was working with him as my coach, he was like, I would love for you. You know, you've talked so much about those days during that time when you were putting that weight back on. I'd love you now that you know how to track food because I never tracked food before in my life till I worked with him. He said, just track it and let me know how, you know, I, I'm curious what it, what it, your average intake added up to be. When I topped 24,000 calories, I stopped tracking and let him know. And he's like, wow. And I said, John, I hadn't finished the night yet. Like that was 24,000 calories by dinner. And he's yeah. like, how often, how many times a week were you doing this? And I'm like, at that point, five or six, easy, if not seven days a week. and it was incredible to see what had just become my norm, my quote unquote normal life again. Yeah. What that was, you know, what yeah. that was. So, so anybody how quickly those how, negotiations how go you, south. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anybody like wondering how do you gain two hundred eighty pounds in six months? That's it. And, oh yeah. You know, in excess of twenty four thousand calories. Right. <laughs> That's a great it's, exercise. You know what? I never actually you know, did, did that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be, you know, I mean, my, I topped out at 260, but I know that like, mm-hmm. I would go, you know, a lot of days, like I would go most of the day, barely eating or just eating my thousand to 1200 calories. Cause like I was always aiming for that, but literally pretty much every single night with few exceptions, I would have a, a, a binge. And I know mm-hmm. it had to, you know, be I always say it was probably 5,000 calories, but I bet if I sat down and did like a typical night, it would be much more than, Mm -hmm. much more than that. We definitely, Um, I mean, think, think about working with people and they say, they tell you, I eat somewhere around, you know, 2,500 calories a day right now. And I'm not, you know, and, and I'm not losing weight and I'm like, well, let's track it. And they track it and they're like, okay, so I'm really eating more like 4,700. I'm like, okay. So that's our starting, you know, that's our place to understand where to start. Like, let's, it's it's just, you don't have an understanding and sometimes tools like that can be really helpful. Yeah. How long, so now, like you understand Mm -hmm. now that you're not a, you know, not a moderator Mm -hmm. when it comes to your drug foods and you know what your drug foods are. How long would you say 
it took you to really, really realize and, and accept that you're not a moderator? Well, the funny thing is like, I, there's a difference between realizing and accepting. Yeah. Because I, I honestly think probably from day one of this journey, this, this leg of my, this quote unquote leg of my journey in 2017, it. I knew, you know, I a hundred percent knew. You know, having gone through what I did in 2010 to 2013, that way. I didn't, I wanted to think that I might be the exception yeah. that would be able to work past it. I wanted to be the exception that could magically, like, I even, like, my first year, I went keto in February of 2017. July of 2017, I had one of those negotiation episodes, and I went off the rails for a month, and I put on 30 pounds in a month because I went wild again. Yeah. The funny thing is like people hear that and they're like, oh my God, like you went wild like that and you put on that weight and that sounds awful. And I'm like, do you understand? That was the very first time in my life that I only went off a diet for 30 days. Yeah. That it wasn't five to 10 years. It wasn't four years. It wasn't two years. It was yeah. 30 days. And halfway through that 30 days, I was no longer what. And this is the part that I think cemented for me, like all of my realizations. The first week of that 30 days, everything was great. Mm -hmm. by the end of that first week I was miserable mm -hmm. and I felt awful and I was still eating that way and I continued to do it for three more weeks like I'm not I'm not saying there's something magical happening here but what I'm saying is I immediately then became conscious that okay this is gonna have to stop this party yeah. has to end like yeah. this is just not I'm and I and I wasn't getting the same dopamine reaction like it just yeah. didn't have the same impact anymore it was like yeah this tastes good but it tastes good for a few minutes. And then after I just feel horrible and I wake up the next yeah. day regretful. Like yeah. I'm now it's because honestly, like when I was 500 pounds, I didn't wake up with regrets. I never woke up any day and felt sad about what I was doing or upset with myself or anything along those lines. It was like, I was like so ensconced in this dream world in my head that there was no place for negative thought around any of those things. And like, this was like waking up every day with a, a, a ball and chain around your neck that kept getting bigger every day. Right. And instead of continuing it, I was like, okay, I need to stop. Okay. I know that I need to do this. I'm going to do this. And this is, you know, kind of where it came back from. So I think honestly, for me, that was probably the moment that I realized that not only was, did I need, was I an abstainer, but I needed, I needed to be an abstainer. Like yeah. being abstinence was a gift. I was giving myself not a punishment. Yeah. So, so six years ago, there's a lot of what we would call like keto critics. What is, mm -hmm. What is your response to someone who's like keto's an eating disorder? Because I can't tell you how many times I've heard that, mm -hmm. and I just think part of my French that's the stupidest shit ever. Like, right? Like it's real food, right? Like that's how we view that. But people, and some that's, people can't get past that that label. Well, I think it's and and honestly, like I think I fall somewhere in the, the this middle place where the keto critics don't like me, and the some of the keto folk don't like me because. I love keto. I don't think there's anything magical about keto for weight loss that right. would help that would magically work for every person. Yeah. I think weight loss, like now, and obviously now we're talking about something different than an eating, dealing with an eating disorder right now. We're talking about weight loss, you know? Right. So that's a kind of a, a parallel track, but separate weight loss is a, eventually about ca caloric restriction and getting your body into a place where you're in a deficit. And there are sometimes things hormonally that help with that. Keto is one of those things that is going to help you from that hormonal place. It yeah. also, like you said, it's directing you to eat less processed food. So it's making it easier to take some things out of what, out of your diet. It's, it's allowing, you know, when you're eating more protein and you're eating more fat, 
your satiation point can come easier. So yeah. that's why a lot of people who say, you know, I went keto and I didn't count calories. At the end of the day, they did count calories. They just didn't do it. Like right. their body, right. their, their body naturally regulated the amount of food that they needed to lose weight at that point. And right. I did that for a year and a half on keto. I think to the experts that say it's an eating disorder because you're tracking things or you're restricting foods or making those choices, I feel like I would go back to them and say, Let, let's just talk about where the ketogenic diet was formulated for. It was to help people with epilepsy. Do we not think obesity is a condition that deserves the same attention? Do we right. not think that some, and do we not also think that if by changing what they're eating, someone is able to help themselves with something that can be debilitating. Where's the disorder in that? I think right. every, I think there's an opportunity for every diet to be used by someone in a disordered way. Yes. I 100% believe that. I think yep. we know that. I think, yep. you know, orthorexia is a thing. I think yep. uh, people becoming, you know, I think it's the same people. Like I post when I posted my flying Dutchman the other night with onions and I'm like, I know there are going to be people coming at me being like, what are you doing eating all those onions? Those oxalates are trying to kill you. Those onions spent last week making sure you're going to die. Like, and so, so then do I say, I know a hundred percent that onions are, are a hundred percent. I'm not saying that every person should drown themselves in onions, but what I'm saying is there are things that we should worry about and things that we shouldn't worry about and right. getting so much onto each other about these things, I think is the right. biggest problem. But for that person that says putting a focus on, on your food intake and what you're eating and the quality of that food is, is automatically disordered eating has never experienced this life has right. never lived with an eating disorder. Like if yeah. you have lived with it and, and the hard thing for me too, is like a lot of times it's, you see nutritionists who are, who are targeting like the eating disorder community yeah. saying these things and they're, I, they have a disconnect. They have a disconnect. And, and they also, I mean, and a lot of, honestly, a lot of them have a lived experience with an eating disorder. Right. Majority of them, you know, again, I said, this is where I'm getting into a place where I'm going to get myself in trouble. Majority of them have overcome anorexia. And yeah. I think That's one of, the, one of the biggest, one of the biggest things that I've realized from clients and friends and other stories of individuals that have been in eating disorder treatment is in a lot of ways, mainstream eating disorder treatment targets anorexia. Yes, and does, absolutely. Does it, 100%. does it not a, does it not a handle binge eating? Does it not a yeah. handle that side of it? That's and right. puts you in a place where it can make some things worse for some people. Like just the, 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 yeah. on, you know, the number of people I know face to face who have come out of eating disorder treatment in a worse place than they were when they went in because yeah. they followed the plan they were given physically, yeah. like come out of eating disorder treatment with diabetes like yeah. went in without diabetes, came out with it because of the yeah. food they were prescribed. Like there's yeah. just, I, I would say, okay, you want to call keto an eating disorder, you know, do it. I don't, you know, at the end of the day, it's no skin off my back because I know the place it takes, it holds in my life and yeah. I can't control other people. I can only control myself, but I will stand up and say that if, if you somehow think, like you said, switching to eating vegetables, low carb fruits, meats and healthy fats is somehow an eating disorder. Yeah. I'm not, I can't have a discussion with you. Like I can't have a rational yeah. discussion. Like exactly. It's, Cause it's, Ill, it's illogical, right? Like, and mm -hmm. to what you were saying about the eating disorder, like I spent six weeks in an inpatient eating disorder, a, a women's hospital, uh, when I was 17 and they, the food that they gave me was all like, I mean, it was all like my drug foods, but it's like this controlled environment. Mm -hmm. And I, and I lost a little bit of weight when, when I was there, but I was, you know, and, and I was there 
because I had bulimia and it was like torture. Um, you know, like they would watch you eat and then mm-hmm. you had to be, you know, hang out with somebody for a certain amount of time. So you couldn't purge. Right. And it was the most, like, I, I was so anxious and filled with anxiety, like the whole time I, I was there. And when I, like the day I got out, I had a massive binge. Mm. Um, it did not help me at all. Like the only thing that was accomplished there was, I think I lost like 14 pounds, which as a 17 year old who wasn't fat, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. it's just crazy. Like what happened there. And I always say, I, you know, keto definitely saved my life as far as, you know, reversing my diabetes, getting mm-hmm. me off blood pressure meds and, you know, the sleep apnea went away, like this long list of ailments that I no longer have. It definitely fixed those things and saved my life, but it did not fix my eating disorder. Mm-hmm. It just gave me the mental clarity and the right. wherewithal to be able to start tackling, you know, like you mm-hmm. said, doing the, doing the work it gave, you know, I had mental clarity, energy, and, you know, just a, a piece about me that I could sit down and look at why am I using food for purposes mm-hmm. other than hunger? What do I think this food is going to do? Like it gave me the opportunity to, re- you know, really reflect on my relationship with food. And so that's why I, I think that, you know, it can definitely play a, a role in our recovery. And like you, like it makes me so angry when people call it um an, an eating disorder because really if you like if you just take the how many I mean, you've probably dealt with this or dealt with clients who told their doctor oh i'm eating keto like they have these great things results right mm-hmm. and the doctor's like oh what are you doing and they're like oh i'm doing keto and then the doctor is like ah, you can't do that that's unhealthy even right. though they just like fixed five things right mm-hmm. and i you know so to call that, you know, to call it an eating disorder, if we took the K word out and if we didn't say to our doctor, oh, I'm doing keto, but we said, oh, um, I'm eating lean meats and chicken breast with the skin and I'm eating salmon and broccoli and, you know, a little bit of cheese. Like if we told them that they'd be like, oh, great. Keep it up. Oh, I did that to a doctor. I said, yeah. that's how I described what I was eating to a doctor. Yeah. And he said, oh, so you're keto. And I was like, <laughs> Well, and he's like, oh, okay. He goes, yeah, I've been really interested in that. And it actually led to some great stuff, you know. And I do want to add before we move past it, I'm not condemning eating disorder treatment, you know, painting that with a swath. What I'm saying is if that is something you're pursuing, please do so with your eyes open, you know, just as with anything, even if you're someone who's interested in starting keto, do it with your eyes open. Don't just do it because, you know, Mary and I have had some, you know, incredible results, like understand that this is about finding the right path for you. I just, I, I feel like I want to say that out loud because I feel like I came down a little hard uh, on treatment. I don't think it's all hooey. <laughs> I just think that there's, I think there's some place in all medicine for us to ask questions and yeah, I you know, don't, don't ever just accept questions. things, you know, don't ever just accept what your doctor says, ask yeah. questions. Well, I, I do come down kind of, kind of hard on it because mm-hmm. I've been, you know, I've been in it. And then of course, you know, I don't know about you, but like I follow certain, you know, traditional like recovery hashtags and most of it is just so infuriating because Mm -hmm. they they just don't get it and I think your point about how it is gear like I think treatment for anorexia is definitely a different path than those of us who are binge and compulsive Mm -hmm. eaters and I think that that's definitely where it goes wrong and I hope that you know we can you know through our podcasts and working with with people and just and being kind of like 
in the in in the public eye i don't know how other way to like mm-hmm. put it as you know the small fish that we are right um that hopefully that'll begin to change because i think a lot of the people if they in the ed treatment community don't acknowledge that food addiction is a thing you know mm-hmm. and their pres- their prescription for all of it across the board is be a moderator and and then of course when you attempt to moderate over and over you can't help but feel that you're broken that you're hopeless that you'll never get well because you can't Mm -hmm. accomplish that right so i think it does a lot for those of us with you know with the binge eating and compulsive eating that a lot of the things that they put out there it does more harm than than good Mm -hmm. um so but i agree like we should definitely ask questions not everybody has the 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 same path and i know there and i and the other so the other side of that is even though i'm a harsh critic i get that most of them are coming from a, a really coming from a place right. of wanting to help it's just kind of like the same with like you know there's i don't think that doctors are purposely like you know doing a bad job i think mm-hmm. that a lot of them have good intentions and want to help people but they're operating with the wrong information mm. and so then it ends up being harmful so um one last thing i wanted to ask you talk to you about is like so you have a podcast um the, the fat guy forum. Correct. I, I think that uh, food addiction and eating disorders mostly has a reputation of affecting women. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that it doesn't affect men. I just think right. that like women tend to be more open and, mm-hmm. and out like about it. And, you know, I think there's like more shame for, for men um, and it's not acknowledged as much. So, but I think it's clear that a lot of men suffer so tell everybody about your podcast and sure. what your mission is with that. So so my podcast is called The Fat Guy Forum. It very much came from that place of I was getting into my my own journey and looking, you know, I just just got, you know, I was doing all the the thing all the hip kids were doing, listening to podcasts, like just getting into that and realizing that there were uh, there were several podcasts that were directed at women who were dealing with weight issues. There were several podcasts that were about health and fitness. But the men involved were the, you know, the bodybuilders that had a had a tough off season and put on twenty pounds more than they wanted to, or you know, right. someone who played college football and gained thirty pounds and now was struggling with you know a massive weight loss of twenty five pounds. Like, uh, no, no, no mocking intended there, but just this idea that there was a lot of unrelatable content, and yeah. so I was really like, I I feel like I want there to be a space where it's not about you know, a, a topical discussion every week. It's about sharing someone's story and about sharing the stories of men. And yeah. so I created the Fat Guy Forum. It took me a year to launch it because I hated my voice and I would record and delete episodes and record and delete episodes and record. And it wasn't, it didn't actually go live until the week after KetoCon 2019 because I literally got berated by all of my friends online who I was now meeting in person who were like, when's the podcast coming out? When's the podcast coming out? I'm like, well, it's recorded. And they're like, drop it this week. And I literally had yeah. someone say, if you don't drop it this week, I'm going to start posting on social media that you have the podcast done and you're not posting it. And, you know, <laughs> so I did. But so now we're coming, you know, it's been four years since the podcast launched. I've had over going going on close to 225 guys on the show. Um, it's, wow. it's every person's journey is different. It's not just about men that have accomplished weight loss. It's I've, I've spoken to guys that are just getting started. I've spoken to guys that are halfway through where they want to be. I've spoken to guys, like I've had a couple of guests who honestly didn't even know where they were going to start. 
but yeah. we wanted to talk about what life was like when you don't know what you're doing, when your path isn't right. clear. And yeah. it's this idea of I, it, what's evolved for me with it is it's this idea that everyone has a valid story to tell and that there's something we can take from everyone's story. My audience is mostly women and they love listening and either they refer their husbands to the show yeah. or they, you know, I've, I've had women write me letters and be like, I've, I used to just think it was about telling my husband to eat less. And now I've understand that there may be a lot more he's going through than I yeah. realize, you know, and you know, it's, it's started some really great discussions for us about these things. And, you know, it's really, it's been a place where, you know, you can hear, you know, you don't often hear men talking about like their sneak eating habits and, you huh. know, where they got to the place that they got in their life. And it's also fascinating to me that like, you know, I'm very firmly entrenched in this place of my, I, my screwed up relationship with food is what got me to 500 pounds. There are dudes out there that got to 500 pounds simply because no one ever said, this isn't really how much you should be eating at a meal. You know, it's not normal to eat a whole pizza. And when someone said that to them, they learned about nutrition and immediately started on a path where they lost weight and they didn't struggle with the same issues. Like it's yeah. learning that everyone has different experiences, but there's commonality there. And the commonality is the things that I love bringing up, you know, that come up where it's like, okay, you know, we may not have all gone through the same exact experiences, but often, you know, a big, a big 90% of the people on the show are using food for something besides, you know, nourishment. And yeah, we, we talk about for them what they're using it for, but it's that idea of being okay with understanding that, you know, the place that food holds in your life and finding that and that being a part of recovering from however it's impacting you. And like, it's, it's been a great experience. It's also connected me with some people that have become like the best friends in my, actually in my life on and yeah. offline and have met in person. And I've had people travel, you know, for us to meet up and like, it's, it's, it's pretty fantastic then to see, people that have been on the show connecting with each other and, you know, becoming really good friends and meeting up in person and like outside of it, like it's in a lot yeah. of ways, like it's, it's a community. It's a way for people to stay own. connected. Right. Like, and mm -hmm. I think I talk about this, like, it's so important when we're in recovery to stay connected, like, mm -hmm. cause eating disorders are so isolating. So I think mm -hmm. we have to be intentional about, you know, staying connected with the people who have the same struggle, the same, and the same mission, right? And like, mm -hmm. even though not all of our paths are the same, there's something very valuable about staying connected with, with mm -hmm. other people on, you know, on this journey, because um, it's really, I think it's really unhealthy to try to go it alone and mm -hmm. why so many people relapse because they don't have somebody in their life that they can, you know, communicate with about mm -hmm. it. Um, so aside from the fat guy forum, which is, uh, I assume like on all the major podcasts, platforms, everything, Apple, Apple, you? Amazon, Spotify, all of that. Um, if you're looking for me as, as an individual, you can find me the same handle pretty much on everything. It's gourmet goes keto on Instagram, Twitter, and on threads now, because again, I like to stay hip and, and hot and happening <laughs> with the new stuff. Um, <laughs> I'm on threads for as long as I, I love text way more than having to put pictures and videos and all that stuff. So I love. I love threads, but I don't think it's going to last long, but I'm there. Um, you can also, I write a bi-weekly blog that honestly, you know, there's, there's keto topics in it, but in a lot of ways, uh, you know, at least once a month, there's a topic about mindset and dealing with food issues. And that's on the keto road.com. You know, that's also where everything else I'm doing lives, you know, coaching recipe creation, all that good stuff. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. I know this episode is going to be really inspiring for a lot of people. So thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me, Mary. It was my, my pleasure. Awesome. Thank you for listening today. 
You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at KetoMary71, as well as my website, KetoCoachMary.com.